Rising living costs trigger violent protests in Sierra Leone. Demonstrators want the president to resign. How should the government respond? And could record high fuel and food prices spark social unrest elsewhere in the region? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests today. And joining us via Skype from Abuja in Nigeria is Ovigwe Egwegu. He's a policy analyst at the consultancy development Reimagined. Marcella Sambasese is an executive director at the Campaign for Good Governance in Sierra Leone. She joins us from Nairobi. And also on Skype from London is Ken Ife. He's a development economist and lead consultant to the ECOWAS Commission. A very warm welcome to each of you. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Story. Marcella, if we could start with you. Sierra Leoneans have enjoyed many years of, of relatively peaceful living since the Civil War. How surprised are you by Wednesday's violence? Truly and honestly surprised. It was painful and disturbing to watch the tragic videos on social media. But I must say, and I must say to the entire world, that that is not Sierra Leone, mm. because we all have agreed that never again will we settle our scores through violence. We have agreed through the truth and reconciliation mechanism. And for 20 years, our democratic trajectory has followed a path of peace consolidation and working honestly towards reconstruction. We have agreed that we would speak through the ballot box. Mm. So that degree of violence meted out by angry protesters is not Sierra Leone. And I think that is why my institution, Campaign for Good Governance, condemns that sort of violence in its strongest arms. But whilst we say that we believe strongly that citizens have a right to express their views and opinions about government, but because of our of our conflict past, we have always promoted non-conflictual mm. means of engagement. Ovigwe, why do you think we did see such violent confrontations between both the protesters and the police? Well, if if we look at Sierra Leone's arc uh, and coming from a 10-year civil war between 1991 and, and 2001, I think, yeah, you, you would see that uh, there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of reason to be very cautious whenever there is there is some hostility among the the public because things can get really out of control very fast. And mm. if you even look at the figures coming out in just a short period of time, over 36 people, you know, were already killed. That that is not uh, that is not the norm when you look at in other countries, for instance, like Ghana, where there was some protests earlier in the, earlier in the year. And even even Senegal led up to the to the elections. You 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 have to be very cautious of that, and that is why, to some extent, uh, I would support the government's effort to quickly step in and put out a curfew, no to zero tolerance, you know, to the protests, because, like I said, the fragility and the um, low trust level within Sierra Leone is still very high because of the, you know the traumas of the of the civil war. So mm. uh, from, from that perspective is why I would say uh, the, gov the security forces had to step in the way they did. Was it the best approach they took? I, I don't think so. But 
uh, given, like I said, given that pass, efforts and you know uh, measures need to, need to be taken or at at the spot from the very beginning to ensure that this does not spiral out of control. Sure, Ken. What do you make of the security forces' response? Well, I think um, I, I would like to associate myself with the comments made by my colleagues to the fact that you know peaceful resolution and, and conflict resolution are, are just the way to go. Especially when you have that history of civil war, you just ignite old wounds and it gets things will rapidly get out of control. But Seattle alone is a very, very dynamic entrepreneurial economy. And we're so proud of that country as a member of ECOWAS. We know that they have had a fair share of conflicts and disruptions, supply chain disruptions and health hazards. It's not just the civil war, they went through Ebola from there to COVID-19 and now to Russian-induced, uh, Russian conflict-induced food shortages and petrol. So this is universal. Everybody's going through mm. this pain. And I think they, they, they ought to take it, take a little, you know, take a step backwards. There's a lot of help coming. Uh, African Development Bank is giving some help. World Bank is giving some help. And, uh, and we stand to support them. But they shouldn't break up in, 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 in the face of this adversity. Uh, Obigwe suggested that the curfew is a good idea to let passions on both sides calm down. Ken, do you agree with that? Oh, no, definitely. They have to have... Uh, in this flash, you know, this is political violence and social upheaval. You have to have coffee mm. um, to prevent more lives being lost. And our heart goes out for the families that have lost their loved ones. But, Marcelo, we've got a curfew in place. We know that it's very difficult to get in touch with people from the outside, uh, inside Sierra Leone. There have been communication blackouts. The Internet's been cut. There's a bit of a vacuum happening right now, isn't there? Do we expect the, the government to come forward? Do we expect um, the government to address the nation? Do we need to hear from the president right now? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, what we are pushing for right now is to ensure that the, 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 the vacuum, the information vacuum is filled. Citizens want to really um, hear from the leaders. We have urged in several places for dialogue with groups, young people. Sierra Leoneans must understand that yes, the social and economic situation are real, but the challenges that we face in our country, violence is not the option. Mm. So we want political yeah. leaders to ensure that we take away the violent communication and we fill that in with citizens' engagement because there's currently a communication deficit. And unfortunately, that has been filled you know, by, 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 by an information, violent information, especially coming from the diaspora, using audios and videos of incitement. And it is that void that we are calling government to use communication persons within their ranks to feel and to talk to citizens and to engage them, to communicate their plans. What is it that government has for us in this nick of time of economic challenges? Whilst I say that democratic realities have been the hallmark of the way we do politics in Sierra Leone, we have not been able to translate democracy into real economic dividends for citizens. So governments must be able to take charge now. Citizens want to listen, you know, to His Excellency the President. We have also encouraged that His Excellency the President be a father figure to us now and speak to us. The youths are really exploited. So what's happening is that whilst we do all of this, our political leaders, you know, 
there is a polarization and intolerance of politics in Sierra Leone. The nation is grossly divided along political lines. The two lead political parties in, country, in the country must be seen to be speaking to people and this gross intolerance to communicate, especially when we are coming to the elections. What is mm. it in their manifesto? They should be able to give the citizens hope instead of distress. Okay, Ovigwe, what role does the diaspora play in Sierra Leone? Because we've had the president, Julius Marubayo, saying that they are responsible, Sierra Leoneans outside of the country are responsible largely for this violence, which he calls acts of terrorism. He seems to suggest that there's a more sinister element to these protests, that these are people outside the country trying to overthrow him. Is this correct or is this a paranoid way of approaching this issue? So one of the things you have to look with, with African countries is that they tend to have you know, uh, very complicated relationships with the diaspora, right? Because many of the people who are who, who, who might uh, emigrate from their home countries are doing so because of they want better life, they want you know uh, a more decent environment, right? So when when the memories they have of their countries are often not very good compared to where mm. they currently are, and that usually plays into how they interpret dynamics within the within the country. However, if you call, if you look at the figures uh, with, with regards to Sierra Leone right now, it's still not very encouraging. For instance, the life expectancy is 34 years. Mm. You know, uh, maternal mortality is 2,000 deaths per uh, 100,000 you know uh, babies born, and Sierra Leone is seventh you know uh, worst performing uh, country you know, by uh, HDI. So these figures, they actually mean something on the ground in terms of what people, when they speak to their relatives and, and uh, friends who they live at, at home, they would, of course, you know, always complain about these issues you know, that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm speaking about. And then because these diaspora populations tend to have the, the means, not just the means, but also, like I said, a sense of uh, memory that is a little, maybe a little bit divorced from reality, but also still very much related, they tend to then use their, their power and their voice to amplify uh, you know, problems around development and poor economic performance in the country. However, I will always emphasize that it is very irresponsible for people who do not live in a country to call for regime change of, or for you know, you know, to break down of law and order because you don't live there anymore. You are not going to be on the front lines when things get really messy. And that's mm. what we are seeing today. Those who have called for you know, protests and uprising, yes, it's fine. But knowing fully well that things can really escalate out of control, one have to have to be very, very cautious because now the 36 people who have died, none of them is in the diaspora. Meanwhile, all mm. those who have been calling for protests, they are very safe in their homes. So why we want to take political action to call for good governance and all of these issues, the local context has to be very, very crucial. And I think the Syrian diaspora needs to be very careful when they are making their demands mm. and what uh, solutions and methods they are pushing. So, Ken, from your position there in London, uh, what do you see the role of diaspora being in these particular protests? Well, I think um, it's just, this is not a time for trading blames or accusations. I think the government has to open all communication channels and be a lot more inclusive mm. because the diaspora can be a strategic asset. I can tell you this. We have to build bridges with them. We have to, you know, have a diaspora commission that reaches out to them, have diaspora investment bond, have more creative 
an energetic relationship that then mutually so that they can be much more helpful. Because in this day of social media, if they choose mischief, they could play it uh, to, to the extreme. And that's not what we want. Mm. We want to get them as stakeholders in building and rebuilding the economy. And they can play a very significant role. Because I know, for example, in Nigeria some years ago, they used to bring 28 and $26 billion to the economy by remittance. And there are a lot of South Iranians abroad uh, who should be minded to think in the same way and contribute much more positive. But it all depends on how government reaches out at them. You have to have positive policy and engagement, uh, even to the point of looking at electoral, you know, electoral laws that allow them to vote, all kinds of measures to reach out. These are our people. Mm. And then they could contribute more to the development and peace and prosperity of the nation. And as I said, they have a high entrepreneurial population because I did the policy framework for private sector development in West Africa and MSME strategy and all of that. And I know that even at the point I was developing the policy, they took away and ran away and started implementing them in Seattle alone, even before the policies were ready. They already ran into production. MSMEs and startups, Seattle alone is well ahead. They're spending more, they, you know, they do it opening channels, uh, digital funding channels for MSMEs, so they can, but there are a lot of challenges but they need cooperation. Mm. Um, so, Basala, just to jump in there, because this is a country that's got a lot to give and it's got a very dynamic population. Why is it facing such a dire economic situation? So it's very important. I mentioned earlier, Ronnie, about how do we mobilize uh, um, diverse interests into the economic trajectory of our country. So the youth bulge is real. The youth are there, the population has increased over 80% of our population are young people. We need to look at what they need. Unemployment is real. How do we translate their aspirations into real dividend? And that is exactly what we want to see as a country. We need to address the youth factor because the situation is that they are a readily available resource for violence. And so governments must make that a priority so that the young people would understand that there are programs in place, innovative ways, because the world is now connected. It would interest you that the youth would not have money, but they will have to for food, but they will have money to buy data and listen to what's happening around the world. They will have money to buy data and listen to incitement. So government must ensure that the youth factor becomes a priority and design programs for them, targeted programs that they would aspire to mm. and for them to feel part of the society. Ken, protests over living costs such as these, when people have got very little left to lose, they tend to have a habit of gaining momentum and spreading. What is your concern that they might spread across the region, out of Sierra Leone to other countries in West Africa? Well, every country in West Africa have their own challenges. At least insecurity is by far the greatest challenge we face in the region. And I, and I know that it's not going to be the same as in North Africa when we had the um, the Arab Spring. We're not going to have that that type mm. in, in in West Africa because that's a different ball game. But the, the insecurity is far more in pervasive in in the region. That um, that's not the type of uh, uh, the social upheaval that I expect. But having said that, all governments have to work really hard, flat out, to get. To, to stop the situation that is degenerating. 
And, uh, and I think this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. OK. And, um, Ovigwe, your response to the challenges that Sierra Leone particularly are, is facing, uh, we heard Marcella saying that the youth need to be engaged, that they are a critical resource and they also need to be prevented from being tempted towards violence. What do you think the government needs to do? Create jobs, because it is unemployment that can prevent a, dem a dem demographic boom from becoming demographic doom. And many African countries, in fact, African region as, as a whole will be 2.4 billion people by 2050. 2050 is less than 30 years away, right? So if we do not find a way to ensure that the, the, you know, these new you know, citizens coming up will get jobs, even current citizens will get jobs, you know, access to upward you know, progression, then it's going to be very difficult to keep the security situation even stable, not, uh, not talk of making it better. Mm. And right now, if you look at Sierra Leone's economic uh, structure, like many African countries, it is a commodity exporter. Titanium uh, being the, 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 the highest, and then you have wood and al al aluminum ore. Why we're not creating enough jobs is because we've remained, or many countries have remained as commodity exporters and not gone into value addition. Because if, for instance, if you want to add value, value to maybe wood, for instance, turn into furniture to export, or even process uh, the aluminum ore and all of that, of course, you're going to create an entire value chain. And the value chain is going to, it requires lots of you know, uh, manpower you know, to, to, to operate. Mm. So the, the issue of just peace building or uh, dialogue and uh, engagement with youths, that is just the, the primary or let's say the very immediate uh, step. The, if people, people are pacified today by engagement and you know, and uh, to, to, and the promises of better, better lives, and you do not deliver that in in a, in, in, in not so distant future, they are going to take to the streets again sure. and take up arms, and okay. this might be worse. Uh, Marcella, just to, to jump in there, because it's a very difficult global climate to create jobs. Do you think this particular government is able to do that? They should be able to look at homegrown initiatives. My colleague just talked about how do we do value addition. Sierra Leone is a very fertile ground for innovation and creativity. And we must look inwards to see that youth are fully engaged and to make sure that investments are made in, in agriculture, for example. You know, the youth unemployment is critical concern and the economic realities they face on a daily basis is real. You know, we should we should not uh, um, turn a, a blind eye to that. And so if we look inwards and look at homegrown initiatives to make sure that investment in what we have in country and to make sure that Sierra Leoneans are able to be geared towards, you know, a psychological mm. developmental change to feed ourselves. Okay, just in the last 30 time. seconds we've got yeah. left, Ken, do you, are you optimistic that this president, this current government in Sierra Leone can weather and manage this crisis? Of course I am. If you look at the, the uh, Sierra Leone is an essentially agrarian economy because the agricultural component of their GDP is about 58% to 60%. Unfortunately, the industry side is only about 12% and the service sector, 30%. That's actually the reverse mm. compared to the whole average across the West Africa. It should be 58% for industry, 54, then 20 for agriculture, and then about 20 double for, for value addition. 
industry. So my colleague is right. We have to focus on value addition. But let me tell you something. There are some countries within the region there that have actually poured in money in, in converting subsistent agricultural farmers to commercial farmers, getting about 5 million farmers access loan with no collateral. Okay. So I think they need to be looking in that direction. So get more youth into agriculture with loan with no collateral and then push value addition. Okay. And that will really pressure. On I do like to end on an optimistic note, so we will leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. All our guests today, Obigwe Egwegu, Marcella Sambasese and Ken Ife. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ng, Gillian Wolfe, Michael Harwood and Gemma Harries. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The programme was edited by Anil Anandan, Lynn Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again on Monday.